yeah, I don't know. A younger self just was ready to prove people wrong. <laughs> mm. Um, and to, to be the person that can like to show myself and to show others that like we are all worthy of working through these hard things together. Wow. What would Whitney from 10 years ago, what would she see in the Whitney of today of right now? Like what would she, what would she have, what would she have to say to you? And I'm curious what you would have to say back. Jerry, these are like therapy <laughs> questions. I, I didn't, I, this is, <laughs> I did not know that we were going to go here, but I'm like, oh my gosh, like Whitney, like you, you've kind of touched on something that I, I feel like is, is really mm. powerful. And then I'll send the bill later. Uh, yeah, <laughs> please do. <laughs> hey, party crashers, level setters. I need to work on this. I need to work on, on the nickname. You guys tell me just, uh, in the comment section tell me what you all want to be called um, welcome to level set a conversation with people who know things and this is your host jerry jones uh, i gotta tell you i am super excited for you all to hear this conversation this dynamic and let me just say free range conversation uh with longtime friend and colleague and um coffee connoisseur uh whitney bookman i will tell you we do talk about coffee. We don't we don't spend the entire time talking about coffee. We spend a lot of time thinking about um, lots of things that are impacting farmers, um, really looking at you know coffee through the lens of sustainability and equity. Uh, we 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 talk about you know the impact of blockchain technology on supply chain and how that could impact farmers. We are talking about the environment and what that actually means for actually growing uh, growing coffee. Um, and then we're actually, we do get into the, we, we do get into a little bit about the beans themselves, which is just fascinating. I know nothing about coffee. That's the thing that's coming out for me in this conversation is that um, I really need to learn more and want to learn more about coffee. Um, but we also talk about, um, just, we talk about, uh, this notion of expansive love. Uh, we, we talk a little bit about, um, her journey and, and dealing with hardship and, um, how that impacted her work and her, uh, relationships in, um, some of her early, early career, her professional relationships in her early career. Um, we talk about our, you know, our top five celebrities. I don't think we actually get to a top five because, you know, we kind of go down rabbit holes. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun. And so this conversation, it's broken up into two parts and, uh, we jump around a little bit. And so there are going to be parts of the conversation, um, part two of the conversation or part one, depending on how you decide to listen to this. Um, feels like it could be the beginning of the, the conversation, um, um, but I, I will <laughs> I will tell you that it's worth it. So we, we, we talk technical stuff, business stuff, and then we talk um, just human, just real human, um, you know, human stuff, if that makes any sense. 
you're going to enjoy this. Um, so it's it's going to be kind of a choose your own adventure. There's going to be a part one and a part two. Um, I think if I'm feeling, I, I probably should denote where part one ends and part two begins just so you're able to kind of skip to where you want to get to. I want to make it as easy for you as possible. Um, but yeah, you're going to enjoy this. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, this level set, my conversation with Whitney Bookman. I'm that person, like we could be at a party and oh. and normally then you have to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm Whitney Bookman, by the way. Sorry, yeah, and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm sorry, I didn't introduce you to, I just assumed you knew each other. Um, so, all right, so for everyone who's listening, we're talking with Whitney Bookman. She is the founder and chief, are, would you consider yourself the change, the, the lead change strategist for? Yeah, sure. Alistra? I mean- I'm like the chief everything officer. If people need to know what I do, I call myself a social impact consultant. First of all, where where in the world are you? I'm I'm talking from Kansas City, but you and I are not in we're in the same time zone, but we're not really close geographically. No. Where are you located right now right now as we speak? I am in Medellin, Colombia, many, many miles south of you. So you're what and what what are you what are you doing in 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 Colombia? What 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 has brought you there? Yeah, so I'll, uh, let's see. I'll try to give you the shorter story. You can ask questions, but um, so I decided to live as a nomad. Actually, I left Philadelphia exactly one year ago today. Um, Congratulations! Thank you. Happy Happy Nomad Versary. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I decided to be a nomad and, um, one of basically as I was deciding where to go, I thought about a few things. One being, um, where do I have people that Mm. I love and I would feel comfortable, um, spending like a month at a time with them Mm -hmm. where, um, where do I just have some curiosity around, what living life in that community is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this budding passion for not budding, it's been there, but this passion for coffee. And I'm a huge learner. And so like, where might I go that I could do that? And so I came to Colombia back in August for the first time to visit my friend Maria and live with her for a month. And she's originally from Medellin. We actually met as neighbors and coworkers in Philadelphia, but she moved back to Medellin during the mm-hmm. pandemic. And so um, I first came with her to visit her. And in that month, I mean, it was, she has great, like speaking of energy, this woman has energy, but um, she was such a, a gracious host in how quickly I was able to meet family and new friends and like the last week I was here I went so Feria de las Flores is like a about flower festival and it mm-hmm. happens annually here because people don't know this about Colombia but Colombia's biggest Im- exports despite what you all are thinking are coffee and flowers so wow. we wait celebrate- hold on wait hold on 
I knew coffee. All yeah. right. What was the other export that we that we were thinking? I'm I'm okay. playing dumb. Yeah, cocaine is often what people think of Colombia for. But is it because of uh, is it because of Pablo? Is it, that yes? And in, in stupid shows on Netflix, is that the kind of the 100. reason? Okay, yes. but not like that at all. Really, I mean, obviously <laughs> there's some truth behind those stories, but yeah. it their exports. I, I didn't know the flowers thing either, and so they celebrate every year. Um, flowers, it's super cool, Jay. Like tangent. They do these, they're called sieteras, are the people. And they make sieteras, I'm going to mess this up. But essentially what it is, is they take these big boards and use flowers to create designs. And they carry them on their back as like a parade. Um, And they're judged on things like variety of flowers and actual design and all sorts of things. So anyway, so last year because it's actually coming up next week. But last year, Feria de las Flores, there was this event at a mall. So malls here are also a whole other culture thing. But um, I went and just started talking to, they had like little pop-up coffee vendors um, as one of the events. And like in two hours or something, I met three people they're so friendly like one person was like looking up flights for me about like come visit us in the Quindio region we'll show you um we'll introduce you to our farmers um really it's like a hundred dollars on trip come visit us here's my contact info I met another person who told me all about their business model and when I told them I was caring about social impact they were like oh you need and like sent me a list of all these people that I should get in touch with and one of them invited me. They're like, come co-work with me on Tuesday. I'm going to go to this roastery. I'll introduce you to people. So I showed up on Tuesday and met like the owners of the roastery and owners of a cafe and owners of a different coffee brand. And so like the last week I was here in August, I just like my network and opportunities to meet people blew up. And then I was super sad I was leaving. So long story short, I have, well, shorter I have come back to Colombia since August three more times um, mm. and am continuing to build those friendships and those connections. And I actually just spoke um, yesterday with one of those um, brands about doing essentially internship with them <laughs> to uh, to learn a little bit more about the import-export business of coffee. Mm. What are some of the what challenges are you know are you seeing from you know the the from the coffee perspective in Colombia and South America like what are what are some of the the biggest challenges they're they're wrestling with right now yeah and they they all might say some things different but what i've heard over my time here and seeing is um one is it's really a challenge to find field workers, um, especially on the small. So they'll tell you that like in some of the larger farms, larger agriculture, they might have more of a consistent flow, but where you have like small farms, family farms, um, it's really hard to find consistent pickers um, when you have a harvest to come pick the cherries. Um, part of that, you know, they, we, I would pickers personally to hear their side of the story um 
and they aren't sure, you know, for a while they were seeing like the economic um, stability of coffee is making it harder to find people who want to farm and who want to pick and people are more going to university and choosing jobs outside of agriculture, which I think we hear in the US too. Um, my uncles are farmers and similarly, it seems like it's a, a business that's harder and harder to find people. Um, so that's one. The other is like infrastructure. I took for granted so much um, roads in the mm. U.S. and like seeing um, on one farm that I was um, able to spend quite a bit of time on, they the road up to the farm is not paved at all. And so because it's rainy often, um, they'd have like landslides or the road would get washed out and then you just have these huge boulders in the middle that your like car can't pass over so they they couldn't get up to their farm unless they used a moto uh, like a motorcycle and imagine if you're a coffee farmer and you're harvesting you're not like having kilos of (laughs) coffee (laughs) on your moto you know they do it some of them do it but um it's not like an efficient or sustainable way to move your product um so or like when we would go to coffee farms i would go i've gone on several tours and you there's no way you could actually get there without like a four-wheel vehicle um and so it really limits who actually has access to get there um outside of the farmers who might have the equipment so yeah so i would say infrastructure and then just like getting enough workers are huge challenges. Um, it, it's yet to be seen in Colombia. There's been this really interesting government program that after, you know, with the peace deal with FARC, they um, are essentially paying and investing in farmers to um, turn over their land from growing coca to coffee. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's pretty comparable to what we have seen on the other end of the drug market in the U.S., where, like, when you can deal and sell and make plenty more than you could flipping burgers at McDonald's um, because you maybe have a record or, or something, uh, yeah. you know, some barrier to other forms of work. Or even if you don't, you just still are making more money. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to make that shift of, like, Yes, I want to be doing, uh, you know, legally recognized work and make half of what I have been making Mm. for years. So they're kind of in this transition. Um, One of the one of the brands that I know works directly with some of the farmers who are, you know, taking advantage of that program. So I I would I, I think it is successful in many ways. And I think that it's taking some time to convince folks and honestly, the actual logistics of turning over land. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes many years for the soil and, and things to change in terms of what crop you can grow on it. Okay, so this is fascinating. So it's interesting to hear, you know, some of the challenges on, you know, on the production side and hearing challenges here in the States of actually getting to it. So like, is, how how is the work of building, so I'm familiar with fair trade, but you're doing, you're doing work that's centered on in equity and sustainability and justice. Um, 
while also like looking to build a pipeline with those things kind of sounds like kind of undergirding what is that process like like how how have we gone from just this notion of fair trade to equitable and sustainable um trade well so i'll be honest i still don't know exactly what i'm doing um (laughs) i'm still trying to figure out what makes sense but um what i have realized is i feel this tension around you know so long we've worked in like creating regulations and legislation Mm -hmm. that like encourages businesses to do the right thing and to take care of our our people and our resources and it's necessary especially for those larger companies to find you know in my opinion but when you think of a small farmer the cost to certify as organic fair trade rainforest whatever some do it and like huge kudos to them but some it doesn't like financially make sense or like mm. the bureaucracy of it is too much for their small farm um and what i'm seeing is like each farmer kind of does what they can in one of those many aspects mm-hmm. so um someone might be really focused on uh, a woman-owned cooperative and they're they understand that um the more money that goes directly to women, the more families benefit. And so they're choosing to, you know, invest in women owned farms. Others are saying like, I can't do organic because it's a huge risk that I could lose my whole crop and there's no one that's guaranteed to buy it no matter what happens. Um, But I do care about the land through like biodiversity. I keep bananas Mm -hmm. and pineapples and I make sure there's shade and I you know, maintain my plants so there's not overgrowth. And I, you know, so they care about these things. They just may not do it in the way that would get them a certification. Gotcha. So there's, I have this desire to like help people understand the challenges that each person faces in the supply chain and how we can fairly honor each of those things and so it's like you know there's coffee shop owners in the U.S. that are like I'm not going to survive charging two dollars a cup for coffee I need to have another business line Mm -hmm. so they're like I'm going to become a roaster I'm going to start up a pop-up shop inside of my store or I'm going to become a bakery Um, and and so similarly it's like how are we connecting people really it's like small and medium-sized businesses like organizing right like we know it's grassroots change so like if we can give alternatives to these big corporations by like amplifying and and growing the number of alternative options in terms of coffee shops who are doing right by their you know baristas and and farmers who are caring about the land and supporting women-owned businesses they may not be like check every single box that a consumer might want but you're also more directly impacting families yeah when it, so in order for groups to kind of check off all the boxes your fair trade you're sustainable you're this you're that are are those criteria 
do those is there is there an inadvertent consequence is, is there the potential for inequity in getting those designations I mean, potentially, right? Like if as consumers, we're all just looking for that label and we won't buy anything without that label, you're potentially excluding farmers who are, you know, and maybe it's not fair to say they're doing their best they can, right? Yeah. Like maybe we do want them to to get to those things. But I also think there's a lot of, you know, as a startup business myself, understanding how long it takes for you to get to a level where you can add all those layers to your mm. business, right? Like yeah. you might just need a couple of years to get really good at, uh, you know, producing enough cherries to make a living. And then you might decide like, okay, I can introduce another crop on my, you know, or I can hire somebody who's going to, you know, do this, the testing to make sure that I meet whatever standard, um, you can't do all those things by yourself as a, you know, one or two person family owned coffee farm. Yeah. Um, but you might be able to do some of them. All right. I have a couple questions. So, um, yeah, I was wondering, so I haven't had my, my morning coffee. Um, oh, but I, I would imagine, are you, would you consider yourself a coffee snob? Like that wasn't originally a question, but would you, are, are, would you are a connoisseur, I guess, or are you, it, where do you draw, I guess Whitney, what I'm asking, where do you draw the line to where you're like, you know what, that's not coffee. Like if it's a Oof. Keurig, like do, is Keurig coffee in your, in your view? Uh, I mean, technically, yes. It's not my preferred form. Um, I would say I'm more of a connoisseur than a snob, but um I have also seen how uh there's a reason the various forms of coffee and brands exist mm -hmm. because not everybody actually appreciates or enjoys specialty coffee in the same way that I do and it's not fair for me to expect everybody to learn to love specialty coffee <laughs> um You're so you know <laughs> I feel like you are still on, you're on the, the connoisseur traffic way, but I see an exit. I see an off-ramp for coffee stuff. I see it. I, I can't accept that. All right. I got, all right. I got to ask because I'm going to pick on our mutual friend date. I feel like, mm -hmm. I actually feel like date might be a coffee snob. Uh, yes. Okay. I'm going to um, agree with you. And, and so I was, I, this is, I don't want to go too far off the rails. I feel like he will only drink French press. Like, is is French press, is there another, are there other types of presses? Like, I know the French press, but is there like yeah. different types of presses? Okay, so my one of my favorite coffee shops here in Medellin is called Urbania. And mm -hmm. on their menu, I'm not going to be able to find it quickly, but on their menu, I took pictures because it's. I still refer back to it. They have like the multiple methods of brewing, which include mm -hmm. like V60, AeroPress, French press, uh, siphon. The, there's like yeah. multiple um, Chemex. And they put on there these little meters of like acidity, sweetness, temperature, 
and forget what the other category was, but there's like four categories. And they'd show you based on the brew method you choose, if you're going to have higher acidity or lower acidity, higher sweetness, lower sweetness, temperature. And so I use that because I'm a person that prefers low acidity coffee. I prefer mm. the natural, there is natural sweetness in, in a lot of coffee if you brew it well. Yeah. And so I prefer the natural sweetness and I like my coffee fairly hot. So based on all of that, French press is my preferred method, but mm. you can like decide kind of using those metrics if there's a different method you like. So that, see, that to me feels like a whole other level of, of, of coffee drinking because like all the things you're explaining, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just thinking, do I want, you know, a, a tall, a <laughs> you know, grande or a vent, you know what I mean? Coconut like, milk or <laughs> almond. <laughs> what is the deal with almond milk? I, Jerry, it is the one alternative milk that I will not drink in my coffee because it's just too nutty for me. I mean, but, I also hear it's like not great for the environment. Sustainability wise. Yeah. It takes so much water to produce an almond. And then I don't know how many almonds it takes to produce a fake milk, but I imagine a lot. So yeah, it, I've heard it, that it's not great. I just, you know, and, and this is as someone who myself have partaken in, in almond milk, I was drinking the almond milk Kool-Aid for a while. And then I'm like, you know, I just don't, they say it's supposed to be better for you, but I'm like, I don't like it. I just, you know, I can't make myself like it. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if, if almond milk were a person and we were at a party, yeah, you know, like you, we were at the party where we were at the place where all of your, your, your favorite people are in the same room together. If almond milk were a person and I saw them, I would, I would immediately grab my phone and act like I was texting or talking to someone. I, I have so no love have for almond milk. Them. I would ghost almond milk. Hundred percent. That's a strong statement. I would just immediately just pull oat milk to the side and act like we were in a conversation together. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know that move. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would imagine that. I mean, you you got to have you got to have that move available. I mean, it just you know. You had mentioned cherries. I don't. Okay, as someone who's not uh, yeah. a real coffee drinker, um. You said picking cherries, and I'm like, wait, cherries? What? Like, Let me get my book, because, yeah, coffee? It's, dude, there's so much to learn about coffee. This is why I'm still like, don't ask me what I'm doing, because there's still too many things I need to learn. But um, they are, they look like little red berries when they mm-hmm. are first harvested. Like, when they're on the plant, they're these red can see this but they're like oh yeah yeah they look like cherries yeah so they're called cherries and then inside of the cherry there's like so many layers that the other thing that is pretty cool is learning how so like those are all the layers inside of a coffee cherry where um when you process coffee you can change the flavor that comes out in it based on how much of that cherry you leave around the actual bean. Mm. Oh, wow. So like if you leave some of the the pulp around it and let it dry like that, it create it's like a honey 
that stays on your bean. And so there's like a natural sweetness when you actually process and roast it. Because I, oh, I was going to ask you, what makes a the Colombian coffee, what makes it special? What makes it unique mm. from other coffees? So is there, is there, I mean, I, I would imagine there's a myriad of different techniques, but is there, are there components that make you know, coffee, you know, quintessentially Colombian? Are there are there things they're doing differently here than mm. other places around the world? It's a great question that I probably, I don't think I can speak expertly to that. I can say what I've observed as different or what I've heard factored in. And so I know that like altitude and um, region, so like mm. soil makes a difference altitude makes a difference um and there are it's really interesting because as climate change happens it's literally changing Mm. um the altitudes at which you can grow coffee um it's changing the temperature at those altitudes so yeah it's really impact like that is a huge factor in what makes certain coffee unique the other thing that I really appreciate about most countries, like Colombia does this, Costa Rica does this, I'm pretty sure most of Africa does this, but um, they hand pick um, the cherries. Whereas Brazil, who is like, you can fact check me on this, but I'm pretty sure Brazil is the number one exporter of coffee. So they're like mass producing it. And Vietnam, those two countries I know use machines to harvest their coffee. So you can imagine like the difference of a machine just like coming through and, and getting all the cherries off a plant versus a human hand picking. Um, I think that it's like done with love. And they really are. There's so many. The, the other huge thing I would credit to Colombia is their coffee federation. They have a organization here that's a national organization that serves as a co-op for many farmers that mm. guarantees a price to those farmers Okay. That guarantees like they're going to purchase beans from those farmers. And they actually do a lot of technical assistance, training farmers and like good practices. They do research to find out like how do we create crop that's resistant to pests without needing to use pesticides. Um, they are also really considered one of like the best NGOs in the country because they have built schools and roads and like oh. truly invested in the coffee communities. So, um, so I would say that's another thing that probably factors into like the high quality of and standards of coffee here in Colombia. So there's something you'd said about climate change and changing the altitudes in which certain coffee can be grown does that mean that they're having to grow higher like are they having to go higher into the mountains and what does that mean then for workers if the altitude is changing what does that mean from a labor perspective yeah i uh, yeah, I I don't know, actually, if it means they have to go higher or lower. I do believe it, you know, obviously, because coffee's grown in the mountains, I do believe you're right in that, again, we should fact check this, but I'm pretty sure it does mean it's reducing the, the amount of land that coffee can be grown on, because you have mm-hmm. to be at those higher altitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, the, I mean, I just wrote about this in a blog a couple of days ago, the mountains on which workers are currently working. Um, so there was one day where I harvested um, coffee cherries in Colombia and you, you had to kind of hold on to the trees as you were moving through because you were on such steep mountains um, you could like slide down oh my gosh um, and you're carrying so the way that you harvest is you put these um you call them cocos but they're like a it really looked like almost like a recycling bin that you mm -hmm. put on the front of you and strap like a belt around yeah, your waist okay. and you're carrying it in front of you and you're putting the cherries into this bucket and at, as it gets heavier one it's like on your back and two, you have to then carry it up that mountain to get it out. So right. like, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, at one point, because it was so heavy, I needed both arms to carry my cocoa. And I, like, <laughs> getting whipped by coffee plants as I walk by because I can't, like, use my hand to move them out of yeah. my face. Yeah. Um, trying to maintain my balance up this and it rains so often it's like slick it's muddy mm. so it's it's really it is fairly hard work in general and i would imagine the higher you go in these mountains um yeah the more steep terrain you're going to get into and less infrastructure like we talked about earlier so i'm just curious about what then the impact of climate if it changes the altitude, which might make it even more slightly dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, and if, you know, if we're already seeing shortages for of people wanting to do the work and if, it, if the work becomes more dangerous, I guess yeah. if, if we're not addressing climate, could we be facing some sort of a, I don't want to say existential crisis as it relates to coffee, but like, what might the future of coffee be in the next 30 to 40 years? Yeah. If we are not addressing climate. Yeah, it's a great question because I worry farmers are going to lose land, like, you know, at the lower altitudes where they mm -hmm. are currently able to grow it. They're probably not going to be able to grow it anymore. It means less supply which could be helpful in terms of driving up the price um and making it more economically uh sustainable for people but my understanding is demand for coffee in the world is growing so mm -hmm. as demand grows and supply decreases it may become a you know not the thing you drink every day or something i actually heard that i hadn't considered on a, a podcast the other day was it could you know the as we learn to brew single um, single cups, so even Keurig counts in yeah. this, um, but where people are able to French press their one cup or you know something like yeah. that, there's actually less coffee waste. So instead of batch oh. brewing okay. and, and like creating a pot of coffee that half of it goes undrunk, undrank, um, or perhaps when you're batch brewing, you're not being as specific about measurements, you're just dumping half of the thing in yeah when you're actually like using a tablespoon to take out how much you need for your one cup um 
and brewing just what you're going to drink, it might mean there are less beans required mm. to okay. actually, I mean, it, it goes along with our zero waste consumption philosophy, yeah. really, in all parts of, of consumption, um, that the more you can do single use, the, the longer you can, you know, sustain the coffee that you have. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking about, um, like I'll go, there's a place I go here in, in Kansas city, um, for breakfast two or three times a week. And I just have Wait, coffee are you going for breakfast two or three uh, times a week. It's a place called room 39. Um, oh, I haven't heard of this one. Room 39. It's uh, by the med center. To me, it's a little restaurant that could, they survived mm-hmm. COVID just it's it's a real just strong uh neighborhood restaurant they do breakfast lunch and dinner and i probably drink three or four cups of coffee whenever i go and so like i'm just thinking about the future though like if if it's gonna if in order for us to be as you know environmentally conscious as possible you know maybe it's not going to be where where we're just gonna brew a big old thing of coffee it's mm-hmm. like, no, nah, Jerry, you you know, if you want a refill of this cup of coffee, that's another two bucks or whatever yep. it is, you know? Yep. Yeah. A lot of people are moving to that. They're not doing free refills because it does cost labor and, and beans. And, you know, there's a, a place here, a cafe in, in Medellin, which I think is super cool, probably not scalable, but um, they... There's like this movement in Medellin to bring local coffee to local consumers because for so long you made more money exporting it that the quality coffee was actually sent out of the country. So there's this, and honestly, there's so many, if you go, like there's a ton of street vendors that will sell tinticos, which are like little cups of coffee. Mm -hmm. And they use like instant Nescafe and mix it Mm -hmm. with water and sugar. And that's like what locals were used to drinking. So there's this movement to bring local quality coffee to the local consumer and pergamino is a is one of those shops where they're bringing coffee from their local farms and um you can go into the cafe and you choose the brew method you want but you also choose which coffee you want because they do it all they grind it and brew it on the spot so it's like made to order coffee there is no batch brew and obviously it takes Mm. longer because they're doing all those steps um but yeah it's kind of this cool specialty um made to order how how because in america we are not very patient Mm -mm. people like even the idea of you talking about like hey there are different brew methods and there's different levels of acidity like i just never i i've never really seen like those options available in coffee shops um so like how how might what would that look like if in America, if all of a sudden we we are going to kind of a very specific kind of I would almost say like microdosing of of coffee consumption? Mm-hmm. I mean, would we be? Do you think that the American consumer would be willing to wait, however many, how long, you know, ten minutes for a cup of coffee? Like, is that a thing? Okay, so you're getting me excited about this conversation I've been having. Um, one is a lot of these Colombian uh, companies I've been talking to are saying that the U.S. market is hard for them to break into because, especially in places like New York, it's all about 
price and speed. So yeah. people don't care about the kind of things that these coffee, the value that these producers bring is like specialty coffee. And if you're putting milk right. in it and sugar, like no one cares. Right. So for me, what really started my, my coffee passion, and you might relate to this, in Kansas City, when we were community organizing, I met probably 90% of my leaders, 80% of my leaders in coffee shops. Mm -hmm. The other yep. percent I met in their home, but it was in coffee shops and it was, it was an experience. It, it, it was where we connected. It was where we told stories, where we sat and we, we stayed. And in Ferguson, after Michael Brown, there was a coffee shop that was like the central hub where people met up. That was the, the, the watering hole. It was a meeting place. Mm -hmm. It was the, the communal space for people who cared about social justice. So like coffee shops to me hold this space of community of like, we gather here. We mm -hmm. share big ideas here. We sit and linger here. And if that's true, I think there's, two opportunities there one is you have more time to wait you don't care about getting your coffee at the counter you're going to go sit down and talk to your friend and in 10 minutes your coffee's up and you can go get it the other thing is where are the people that care about where our coffee comes from the people mm. who are talking about injustice in america around a cup of coffee at a coffee shop are the people who care that the people who yeah. grow their coffee are going to be out of work because of climate change or are not being paid a fair wage because we don't care or, um, you know, where we want to know, we'd rather shop at a farmer's market and see who the producer and the artist yeah. is than go into Costco and just buy a box, you know? So right. there's a real opportunity, I think, to connect those like-minded folks who are willing to go sit in a coffee shop, discuss these ideas and then put their money where their mouth is and pay for those specialty coffee or at least like social impact minded coffee producers um, in other countries. And we're like, we're a global community and what a better way to like my philosophy and my business is locally rooted, globally minded because mm. we are, you know, locally rooted in our communities, investing in those small businesses, creating connections with our neighbors but we have this mindset that we're not alone. We're interconnected and we're, you know, in the U S we don't grow coffee. So like you have to care about people in other countries. I love that notion, Whitney, of, because you're right. Like back in the organizing days, that's where I met even, you know, I don't have a whole lot of in-person meetings now, but I do miss that. But when I do, it's a cop, there's always, almost always coffee. Yeah. Right. And I, I can't, I'm like, you're right. I mean, the, the coffee shop is the hub for discussing important ideas, right? And, and strategy. So like interesting thinking about the central element, the thing that brings us to the coffee shop, thinking about the coffee and the supply chain and all of those who are connected to that supply chain so that there's a level of consistency between the people who are coming the ideas that are being discussed and the very things that are being consumed yep. are all kind of aligned and connected that's actually really powerful that you are 
that this is what you're working on because I honestly, you know, I would only think fair trade and like, oh, I hope, I hope this coffee is fair trade coffee. Um, but not even giving it a second thought as to who's growing the coffee and what are their challenges. And I mean, but it, I think that's, that's all a lot of consumers know about, right? We're, we're all trying to do our best. And like, one of the things that I, what I love about, I have some friends that co-founded a company called Wearwell, um, which is they're disrupting fast fashion. And mm. they understand that even if we care immensely, it takes a lot of time. And oftentimes we don't even know how to do the right research to know if that shirt we bought is coming from a sweat factory or supporting good labor practices. Right. And it's not because you are a bad person that you bought a t-shirt at Target. Um, but we have to make choices. We only have so much time in a day. So they are providing a service where they've researched and they've made direct trade relationships with artisans and mm. uh, textiles, you know, all those things. You make a profile about like, what are the causes you care about? And then they give you style recommendations, both based on your style and size, but also based on the causes you care about. Um, and they take the guesswork out of like, am I being a conscious consumer? So what fair trademarks do and organic certifications do are, are not a bad thing in that like consumers are doing their best. And that's one sig like signal that helps us make choices but it's like, what else could we be doing? Like, there's so many cool coffee bags that I've seen here in Colombia that, uh, and actually there's some cool roasters in Nashville that do this too. Mm. Um, they'll tell you what farm the, the coffee was grown on. They'll tell you like the altitude, the process to process it. They'll have the, the farmer's name. Some have even started using QR codes with blockchain technology to show the traceability. You can click that QR code to see what farm your coffee came from. Oh, wow. Wow. So the blockchain has come to, to coffee. To supply chain. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. What's your thought on that? What, what's your thought when you think about the potential and power of blockchain technology? Like what do you, what else do you see it doing for, for the coffee trade? Or is it still just a new, still kind of a budding um, tech platform? folks i mean i sometimes i feel like i'm in some weird underground cult as a nomad um because in the meetup spaces uh crypto is like it's the topic like yeah. people are financing their a lot of their travels through crypto and people yeah. are like building lives that are not dependent on a single stream of full-time job income mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. crypto as as one of those things and like we're teaching each other like how do you research what platforms do you use and um mm -hmm. I yeah I mean I know that like I said I, I know that I'm not in a mainstream with those crews but I think that um it is becoming much more common than it was even like five years ago. So, so there's a long journey. I, I, I guess maybe we could start 
not from the beginning. So we met, I interviewed you on a bus um, coming from Jeff City. Um, fast forward, uh, a few years later, you, you take on uh, an organizing role in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. Talk to us. About, yeah. What? Talk to me. What led you to Camden? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so we had a, a fairly large team in Kansas City for mm-hmm. what, you know, a local community organizing shop looked like in those days. And I have always kind of had a call and desire for leadership and didn't see a huge opportunity for that um, given, I mean, we had a gluttony of talent in Kansas City. So it was not out of like, it was just knowing that there were plenty of other people in line (laughs) before me. Um, And then the other piece was that um, Camden was in this rebuild stage where Mm -hmm. um, they basically fired all their staff and were uh, looking at kind of reestablishing themselves and to your point there were things I had I feel like habits that I had started in Kansas City with my volunteer leaders that um, I didn't want to repeat and I didn't quite know how to get them untrained Mm. or like out of the habit of being with me in that way and where maybe I was doing more of the work than I should be that I should be coaching them more so anyway one I saw Camden as an opportunity to kind of have a little bit of a fresh start with more wisdom in community organizing where I could help uh, where I could one apply what I've learned in a kind of fresh start space but two I really love the challenge of like rebuilding I love the phases when organizations or people I mean I had personally just gone through a divorce a year prior and so there was also this like personal desire to get out of the city where that all happened um and so for me, those phases of like, there was a, a crisis and we have to rethink how we do business or, you know, founder left and we're having to yeah. rethink what leadership looks like. Those, I like those. So Camden was a draw to me because of those things in my, like that point of life and career and, and personal. And you got to Camden and, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. I don't know if I've ever told, maybe I have told you this, but I was a little jealous of you when you're in Well, Camden. you had an amazing relationship with Dr. Brenner out of Camden <laughs> at the time. Like you well, were leading our health equity work. Well, that's, so that's why I was so jealous of you because I'm like, I look at, I look at Dr. Jeff, Jeff Brenner as a hero and I'm like, and now she, She's friends. She's co-working with the guy who pretty much and has inspired my work ever since. And I'm like, I had a little jealousy for my friend. I'm like, "Eh, you know, it's all right. It's kind of awesome. She's, you know, working with, you know, Jeff Brenner and just innovating like how we do, you know, integrated healthcare for those who've been historically marginalized and minoritized. But hey, you know, she's my friend, so I guess it's okay. Well, Jerry, I couldn't have done, like, the only reason I knew anything about what I was about to do was because of you. Like, you had taught all of us in Kansas City about the Camden Coalition and about, like, what that looked and sounded like. So, 
like it's immense gratitude to you and the work you did that I could even like step into that role in Camden. But I, I will say it, but when you, you went there, I feel like Whitney, that you, you elevated the work and I feel like that work also being there, if did it, what did it spark in you? Like, I feel like mm. something like you really began to grow into your power, into your leadership. What was that experience like? Mm. I appreciate that observation. Um, yeah, I think it was a couple of things. Um, Camden is such a gritty and resilient community. And so often in the beginning of my time there, I was hearing this pain of like, we don't trust outsiders. And by outsiders, you could be like from across the river in Philadelphia. But if you're not born and raised in Camden, you're an outsider. We don't trust you. And part of why we don't trust you is too often people from other parts of New Jersey, other parts of the country have come in and studied us and wrote up plans and promised things. And then a year later, they're gone and nothing happens. And like, as someone who also was really drawn to Camden, because I had heard so much about like, it's the armpit of New Jersey. And why would you want to go there? I was like, no, there are people there. They deserve love just like anybody else. And I'm going to be the person like, and you know, some of this is probably some personal trauma out of like recently being told <laughs> I was not loved um, to be like, no, we all deserve love. And I want to show up for for this group of people. And, and it was hard. I mean, we, I cried so many times that first month alongside people telling me stories, like personal life stories that I could never fathom. And it was like insane stories, one after the other. It was like not an anomaly to hear the pain that I was hearing in Camden. And so it just like drove me. I was like, no, I, I'm going to be the person that stays and we're going to do something. We're not just going to promise something. We're going to do something. What was it like? So like, as you were talking about that, um, it kind of, kind of triggered a thought about Brene Brown and, and, and really thinking mm -hmm. about like leading and leading through a place of vulnerability. Like you were, you were at a place where it seemed like that came natural. Like you didn't have to feign that. What, so, I mean, what was that doing for you as you were kind mm -hmm. of processing what was happening with you in your own life? And yet you were connecting with other people who were going through things. I mean, how did that feel like kind of working that out while working mm -hmm. with, with people? Yeah. I mean, in some ways it showed up in like a persistent determination that like, I probably should have drawn more boundaries um, <laughs> than I did. And in other ways it showed up in people holding me accountable in ways that were fair, but that because of where I was personally made me feel um, undervalued mm. um and so yeah I remember like conversations 
with one of the sisters who is still a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, but early on, um, and I don't recall what she said. I just remember coming back to the office and, and like going to my boss and being like, I can't like, I can't break through with her. Like she doesn't think that I'm, you know, she doesn't believe me. She doesn't trust me. Um, she doesn't think that I can do this. And yeah, I don't know. A younger self just was ready to prove people wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and to, to be the person that can like to show myself and to show others that like, we are all worthy of working through these hard things together. Wow. I'm curious. And I, I, people are listening are like, Jerry, why are you jumping around so much? But <laughs> um, I'm really curious because I, okay. So I'm, 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 I'm so old. I, I feel like I still, Often what I still, you know, think about you as the person I interviewed on the bus. And yet at the same exact time, I see you now, like you're, you're building, you know, um, this platform to, to connect um, growers and roasters. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like, I'm curious to know what would, what would Whitney from 10 years ago what would she see in the Whitney of today of right now? Like, what would she, what would she have, what would she have to say to you? And I'm curious what you would have to say back. Jerry, these are like therapy (laughs) questions. I I didn't, I, this is, I did not know that we were going to go here, but I'm like, oh my gosh, like Whitney, like you, you've kind of touched on something that I, I feel like is, is really Mm. powerful. And then I'll send the bill later. Um, yeah, <laughs> please do. <laughs> um, gosh, I think one of the things that the Whitney of today would, um, wait, did you ask what I would say to her or what she would say to me? Oh, either way. Yeah. I think I would tell her that she's going to learn how expansive love is beyond romantic relationships beyond the nuclear family that you're born into in ways that are going to just like blow your mind and that the adventure and the connection that brought you to organizing the like deep people connection and the unique experiences and the constant pushing for change you're going to get to make a life out of that and like just wait oh wow oh wow Whitney that is deep like this notion of like expand expansive love um so I was death scrolling um, on Instagram when I should have been going to bed. But Viola Davis, I don't know if you follow Viola Davis. On I love her. She is amazing. She is like, mm-hmm. I mean, she's right now on my top five list of celebrities I'd want to meet Ooh, in, in real life. Nice. Um, 
So wait, I, I do have to ask because I, I do go off on tangents. The Obamas, can I count them as one on the list of top five or do they no. each? I'm glad we're going here because I was going to ask you who the other four were. <laughs> I think they count as one. They're like a, they're like a package deal, right? They, I mean, they are. They, they could are. sit on each other's lap at dinner. Yeah, right? it's just about the seats. Right, because I'm like, I don't feel like it's fair that if I have a top and I only have five, um, and I I don't want to. And it doesn't mean that I don't acknowledge them each in their as their own individual person and in their in their individual okay. greatness. I just I only have five spots, Obama's. Okay, so you're gonna have to lap up. Okay, we gotta yeah. we gotta leave room um, for uh, Viola. Um, I would love to meet. Um, right now, it, it ebbs and flows. Right now, I would love to have a conversation with John Stewart. Oh. Yeah, he's got an interesting new podcast. Yeah, he's oh, John Stewart's on fire right now. Like, uh-huh. and I I love the fact that he's just kind of he's out there, you're fighting for veterans and and first responders, uh, and then, um, I would love to meet Shaq, Bill huh. O'Neill. He just seems yeah. like he's so much fun. I forget, I mean, yeah, you're a big sports guy, so I, yeah. I shouldn't be surprised that you would you would have someone <laughs> in that space. You have a top five? Oh, I mean, it definitely includes the Obamas, and I've contemplated the same thing. Like, if I had to choose one, which one would I choose? <laughs> so that's why I supported the lapping up idea. Um, gosh, who else? I, Brene Brown, I listen to and read mm. so much of her stuff. Um, yeah. I just think that that would be good. I have this thing about not really um, being super excited about celebrities. And like, mm. I never have celebrity crushes and stuff. I actually, the thing that, like the people that are coming to mind right now are like actual people I have had the opportunity to meet and would want in the room together like my favorite oh. thing to do is to like I would use my birthday as an excuse to like put all of my favorite people in the same room oh and I like, like that. not that I want to be the centerpiece but like I am currently there the one connection that's like putting yeah. all those people in a room and then like watching them become friends that's Ooh. like one of my favorite things to do. And so I just think about like, who would I put in my birthday seats? And oh, it's wow. usually not celebrities. Isn't that cool when you're friends, when you have friends from different circles of your life and they meet and they become friends and then all three of you become like, that's really cool. Yeah, I love, I love doing that. And recently I've been paying attention to like, and this is going to sound like, I don't know, out there a little bit, but like energies and yeah. how much there are like people I've encountered in this last year that we're just like drawn to each other and mm. like all different like genders, more often women, mm. but where you just like vibe and flow and you like become fast friends and it's like if you can put all of those like energetic sparks in the room. I mean, but don't you feel like, I mean, cause we are, we are vessels for energy, 
right? Mm -hmm. So do you feel like that maybe um, there, there are just different frequencies in that when you connect that oh. it just means that you that you your frequency and their frequency are just kind of aligned. Yes, that makes more sense than pheromones to me. <laughs> well, because I feel like that there's got to be a reason why certain people just connect with with each other, and and why sometimes certain people you just don't <laughs> connect with. You know. Yes. And it, it may manifest itself as like, oh my gosh, I love this person. Or, oh my gosh, I cannot stand that person. But I wonder if it's, if it's less conscious than we think, that if it's more of a, uh -huh. a, an alignment or misalignment of the energy, you know? I, I feel like I was just going to ask you before we wrap up, like, you started, I mean, you started here in Kansas City, but you really began to, I think, you stepped, fully stepped into your leadership in Camden, and now here you are in Columbia. Like, what did it take, and how are you building trust? Like, how how have you been able to, to, to basically do some of the things that you were doing in Camden, now you're in Columbia doing the same, like, What's that been like for, for you, like building these relationships here? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we really, one of the biggest things that community organizing gives us is uh, practice and skills to build meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're doing it right now in terms of like, you ask good questions, you're curious about the people and you don't have, I mean, you often have like an idea of why you want to meet with that person, but it's not like an agenda of, you know, I'm trying to close a contract with you or I'm trying to get a job with you or I'm trying to get you to do this specific thing. We often do relationship building with this desire to just understand someone's story what motivates them, what challenges them right now, what they get excited about and continue to go back to those people. And until, and there may never be a, a time that it happens, but until it could be years later, you're like, oh, so-and-so is super into this thing, but so is this person mm -hmm. and I'm going to connect them or like, oh my gosh, I'm finally doing this thing. And that person said, if I ever did this thing, I should contact them. Um, so for me, it's really just been continuing what I learned in community organizing in terms of like relationship building mm -hmm. and showing up and just being with people and asking them questions and telling, being honest about like, I don't have anything to offer you right now. Like I am not in the coffee business. I am not, you know, I'm just curious and interested and I have these ideas and one day I hope to do something with mm -hmm. them, but I don't know what it looks like yet. Um, and friends that I'm just like, Hey, I'm just here for a while. I'm looking to, you know, go do something with other people. Are you into it? And like we talked about earlier, there will be people where you really vibe who like, I met one woman in Morocco, actually several women in Morocco that our energies were just so good. I knew that like, 
we only had a few days together, but when I went to Paris for a week, one of those women hosted me at her home at least twice, at mm. like two nights, had friends over. I met her friends. Another woman, I'm convinced that like, I have to stop in Mexico before I go on to back to the US because I want to see her again. And mm. I know that if I go to LA, that another woman would host me for dinner because like, you just spend time with people. And like in the, in that week, I don't think we ever, the three, four of us ever talked about any specific, like we were all entrepreneurs, but we never said like, Hey, let's do this business together. Or, hey, let's do this specific, like, I need you to do this for me, or I need you, you know, it was just like, we just built friendships. And I know now that I can go back to those friendships in true authentic, like, I care about you. And if I need something, we'd be there for each other. You're seeing the world like you are you're you're meeting people and connecting with people all over the globe. Like, what's that like? I mean, you're like, oh, you know, I was in Paris and Morocco and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what is what's it like to to set out to say, I'm going to I'm just going to explore this thing and then to just do it, because I think what what. Partly what I'm fascinated by, Whitney, is that you didn't have to have it fully baked before you decided to do it. Like, what would, I don't know, like current Whitney talking to 10-year-ago 10, 10 Whitney, like about, what would you say to her about just taking the chance, about just yeah. going and doing it? Yeah, I you know, one thing that I think my divorce taught me is your best laid plans can be pulled out from under you faster than you think. And you have to rethink plans and begin to hold them a lot more loosely that, Mm. um, yeah. And so I think that even when I started like a year ago, I mapped out (laughs) where I was going to be every month for the first five months, I think. Um, But very quickly, I felt unsettled. Um, And I think in my second month, I was in Costa Rica. And I felt this, like, I don't, I can't be present where I am because I'm planning for where I'm going to be next. And I don't mm. like that feeling because I planned to be here. Now I'm here and I'm not able to be here because I'm planning gotcha. where I'm going to be next. Mm. And those feelings of, you know, I feel like we, we, we're visionaries. We have ideas. We like to think about the future. But if we do it too much, we miss the present. And so this has really been an exercise for me and like holding my plans loosely, having ideas about where I want to be, but truly being present to who I meet, where I am, what my body is telling me about those things mm-hmm. and being willing to change plans to come back to a country to rebuild, you know, continue to build on relationships or leave a country because it's, not what I had hoped it would be or 
decide to take a vacation by myself in spite of it originally being planned with another person, you know, like, Mm. so yeah. Wow. Kind of reminds me of, you know, there's this kind of uh, Buddhist um, teaching and the notion is like the raft is not the shore Mm. that, um, that you, that you take a raft to cross the water to get to where you're going and the idea is that once you get to shore um if you continue to hold on to the raft that you never truly embrace being on the shore and the idea is like let the raft go Mm. let for someone else to to grab onto and to let yourself now be on to be in the shore and then for you to kind of be there and experience and then if it's time for you to leave then you leave but the idea is like you just don't want to carry around the thing that you know sometimes you just have you just have to let it go and just to be present to be where you are um i love that you're certainly doing that you are um I don't know I really I I know like we went off on this tangent there is a reason why I brought up Viola Davis oh yeah okay so um and anybody who's still listening at this point they're like oh my god you're finally getting back to why did you bring up Viola Davis (laughs) so when I was death scrolling Viola Davis posted this amazing piece of art. So anybody, I would recommend if you're on Instagram, find Viola Davis and find this post from what, I don't know, maybe 12 hours ago. But it was a piece of art and the the way this digital art, and it was amazing. And like, it was like a picture within a picture, a drawing within a drawing. And then you click on each thing and it goes into another and another, and it just doesn't stop. Huh. Like, and, and there was something that you were, when you were talking about that your idea and your your understanding of love has grown it made me think of that mm. because you know you just it, it was just like this expansive piece of art and with each thing like I kept thinking like oh my gosh like the attention like it doesn't stop and that that love can grow it's kind of like love is kind of expansive like the universe right yeah and that as we step into love, I think our understanding of it can evolve. It can grow, it can expand. Um, and then mm-hmm. it can look like a whole bunch of different things. And I mean, yeah, sorry. I, was and just I feel say, like that's like, what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I was just writing the other day that like, I'm realizing my heart feels most torn when planning around who do I get to see next or like, who am I saying no to seeing? Like, Mm. like my love now, (laughs) my heart is now in pieces all over the world um, Mm. in terms of just like family and friends and meaningful connections that I don't just want to be a moment in time. Like, I want to go back to them. I want to keep seeing them. And, and so the, the feeling of like, oh, but if I go there, it'll be another three months before I get to go see that person. Or 
oh, if I choose to settle down in this city, what does mm. that mean for how often I can see that person? And um, and it's like, I've had to wrestle with like, is this people pleasing? Am I like feeling bad about not going to see a family member just because I have the freedom to travel? Um, and it was like, no, I, I like genuinely want to spend time with that person. And it makes me sad that I can't like, kind of like my birthday dinner, like I can't mm. put all of my people yeah. in the same place at once. Right. <laughs> The thing is that you you are you you're cultivating so many rich relationships, and your love is growing with people all over the world. And so, yeah, you're of course like there's so much love, and you just want to scoop it all up. Like like there's so much love, and I and you can't hold it all, and <laughs> it's like. That's the thing. As your love expands, your heart is growing and you, and, 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 but I think it's beautiful that you're like, oh my gosh, like I want to be here and I'm going to be with this person, but then I, I can't be over here, but yet your love is there. Your love, your heart is with them. There's pieces of you that are, like you said, are all over the world. And it's like, that love will be there for you, you yeah. know? And yeah. Yeah, you just, I don't know. I think it's pretty remarkable. With, Thanks, Jay. Um, I, I just, this notion of, of I feel like from Camden to Columbia and just your <laughs> things are just changing. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you are just doing just, and just, I think doing and being amazing thing. Like that's just, it's, it's just really remarkable. Um, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the people that you are coming into contact with and building relationships with. You could be what you could be right now in this very moment. You could be saving the future of coffee. Let's <laughs> not put that pressure on me. <laughs> I am definitely not coffee savior. <laughs> well, no, I mean, no, I, but I, no, but I, 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 I I feel like that the things that you and all of your colleagues are working on together could be a a, a foundational piece because it doesn't appear that we are moving at the speed that we need to 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 be like kind of a net zero for mm -hmm. waste and environment. And so, but I think the relationships and the things that you are going to be putting in place could be things that from a, at least when thinking about coffee could be like, oh, thank goodness that this pipeline exists, this network exists. Um, and it'll, it'll, it'll give, I think people in the future something to, to build upon, you know, while I hope so. we figure out how I to save the planet. Yeah, and I hope we can just like more than anything it, that it's a model of not just for coffee, but like how do we truly become a global community that is honoring how our choices impact people in other communities and how we connect and build relationships that can be about not having to be physically in the same space, but still holding love for people that are in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So when do we get to interview you about how <laughs> amazing your work is? Because that's a whole nother podcast. 
Well, I I was gonna say I wanna I would I would prefer to do that on location in like Columbia. <laughs> Come, I'm here for another two months. Do you miss Runza? Do you, when you go back, do you go? No, because I don't like cabbage, and so they're like, I like their burgers, their burgers and their fries. I can get down with, but I never liked Runzas. In fact, my mom would tell you the story of. She made homemade runzas one time, and I did not want to eat it so badly. I was protesting at dinner for like a half hour, and she was still going to make it. was like the fight she decided we were going to have that night. Mm -hmm. I had to eat it. So I fell, fake fell asleep at the dinner table. She video camera me. Like we have home videos of me fake sleeping at dinner so that I didn't (laughs) have to eat the runza. (laughs) I love that you fake sleep. How long were you how long were you fake sleep before you woke up and then you had to eat the runza? I think she finally let me out of not eating the runza. Maybe 15 minutes. This is a trick though. Your listeners should know this. I also would fake sleep when I didn't want to answer a phone call from a high school boyfriend. I would fake sleep when I didn't want to eat something. I would fake sleep when I didn't want to do chores. So are you like a possum? Like yes. you <laughs> 